Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> I feel shy. We're back in the studio. Shy? Huh? You really feel shy? Nah, nah. I feel like I'm back at home now. I feel like I'm back at home. Um, and yeah, firstly, I want to say thanks to everyone who has kind of just been rocking with us while we've been having to find ways to adapt in recording podcasts and filming content or whatnot. Um, it's massively appreciated. We're fully back in the studio now. I'm happy. Um, there's a lot to discuss. There's a lot of people that need to, at, at some point, sit on the couch and that too. I'm looking forward to being back with my brothers, Poet and, and Dan as well. But um, what a great way to start back being <laughs> in the studio by having, um, you know, uh, someone that I've had on here a few times, actually. What is this? This is your fourth time now? Fourth. Fourth time? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, fourth, yeah, fourth yeah. time. Urban <laughs> Finances with me. How are you, bro? I'm good. I'm good, Chucky. I'm good. It's been it's been a testing few months. Yeah. Um, it's crazy to think we were here at the start of the new decade. And yeah. we were excited about it. You know, 2020 was kind of gearing up to be the year that, you know, things were going to happen. You know, yeah. coming back off 2019 where we just finished elections Brexit was kind of being sorted out you know nobody even remembers Brexit anymore oh, <laughs> because <bro. laughs> that, that sounds foreign mm. um, but yeah it's it's been a crazy few months man but I'm glad to be here yeah um, 100% it's nuts isn't it like the beginning of the year we was all like these bright ideas for stuff yeah. or whatever and then yeah. all of a sudden everything got just tipped upside down essentially I, I think it just shows you I guess how fragile we are as a being you know yeah. you can have all your plans laid out because when I was last here we were talking about people's financial goals and you know how to plan ahead and kind of the things they need to consider etc and then COVID-19 just came out of nowhere mm. and just completely sidetracked all the plans everybody had um, and so I think sometimes it shows you that you do need to leave some wiggle room in your plans because you know there may be a need for you to change mm. and so you can't be too rigid when it comes to these things but you know we're, we're all here and I think first and foremost there's a there's a human element to this that we have to acknowledge and you know that people have lost their lives to this thing of course um, and we can't lose sight of that you know we're still here and you know people 
laugh and joke about not being able to leave your house or get a haircut or, or do some of the basic essentials but you know, there are some people we started a decade with who already aren't here yeah, as real. a result of this so you know heartfelt condolences to them I'm sure there are some of your listeners or viewers who've probably been affected personally by that 100% uh, so I think it's right we acknowledge that 100% um, and yeah actually talking on that I still got my quarantine beard um, <laughs> some we're gonna you know make some adjustments very soon on that but um, you for the meantime you no not now not what this bit here nah yeah. nah nah <laughs> that's not where we're at today that's not where we're at today um, <clears throat> so I've got a bunch of questions to ask you today yep <clears throat> um uh, some of my from my own curiosity, some that people have um, sent to me, um, knowing that you knowing that you're coming here. Yeah. Um, but before I do all of that, yeah, for anyone who's watching you for the first time here, mm-hmm. I know that we've got episodes before where you've come and talked a lot about your journey and whatnot. Yeah. But just for people who have just like stumbled across this now, mm-hmm. um, can you just give a brief um, analysis of what it actually is that you do for a living? Yeah, sure. So I'm a private banker um, and I look after entrepreneurs. So business owners, um, sector agnostic, so cover about 30 different sectors from food and beverage, hospitality, recruitment, property development, automotive, uh, a range of things. And really, as a private banker, my job is to become their trusted advisor to help them in terms of you know their wealth creation, uh, yeah. wealth preservation, and everything that comes in between. Um, so yeah, that's in a nutshell really what I do. Okay, a lot, when I, when I text you, mm about doing coming back on yeah um you'd messaged me and you said to me a lot has changed in our economy since we last spoke yeah can you talk on that yeah of course so you know i think to kind of put some context around this as, as i said a little earlier on the start of 2020 everyone was excited about it you know when i was here last we we're talking about the momentum that i felt was starting to creep back into the economy uh, elections was out the way brexit had kind of happened mm. um, and i could feel that people had momentum again um, but obviously since COVID I think a lot has changed and yeah. you know let's look at the fact that 2020 has already become the year of many firsts and by that I mean it's the first time we've seen a lot of things that we've never seen before perhaps in our generation yeah. uh, you know we've never been told to stay in our homes and never leave you know businesses have never been told they can't trade and they had to shut their shops uh, you know we've never seen base rate come down to 0.1 percent you know i've never seen that in my lifetime u.s oil prices went negative for a period because there was no demand um you know you look at all these elements put together and you think wow you know there's clearly a lot here to kind of unpack um between march and april this year sorry march and may um i think 600,000 people were taking off payroll so, and that's here in the UK alone. So, you know, when you look at the impact that this thing is having on people, it's enormous. Um, and so, you know, these are all things that people are dealing with. So all of a sudden we've gone from a place where there was momentum of people looking to transact and do things mm. to a place of confinement and people couldn't move. Um, and so I feel that's, you know, definitely had a massive impact. And so I think there's still a long way to go in terms of us fully realizing the complete impact. You know, people talk about recessions, are we there? I think all the signs exist, you know, in terms of consumer confidence is down, productivity is low, you know, we're not producing our factories as we do, you know, the stock market had a a period of sustained decline, so all the signs are there, you know, so the question is now, okay, well, how how much or how big an impact is this recession going to have on us mm. and how are we going to recover you know people talk about the various shapes whether it's a, a u-shape recession or l-shape or a v-shape all it is is basically the sharp decline how long we're in recession for mm-hmm. and how we react when we come out of it so i think there's a few things that still remain to be seen yeah um 
I'm going to ask some questions on that a little yeah, bit later, sure. actually. How much did it affect, how much did this COVID um, period affect some of your clients? A lot. So I think, you know, when we talk about being self-made, being an entrepreneur, being a business owner, <clears throat> people don't always appreciate the dark side that comes with that. Mm. You know, this is the first time that there are a lot of successful entrepreneurs who, quite frankly, don't go into business and planning for a period of zero revenue. And that's exactly what we've seen. If you run a restaurant, a hotel, a cafe, you've had to shut your doors. There's zero revenue. So unless you were one of these shops who were already providing services via deliveries or online, then you had no income coming in at all. So you know, in the UK, um, I think there are around 52,000 applications that have been submitted for the business interruption loans. So these are the government-backed schemes that are helping companies to borrow money just to have some working capital to keep going. Mm. So you know, all my clients who are in business have been impacted. But that said, I think not everyone's had a bad crisis. Yeah, some people have had a good crisis. I'm you know? telling so you, there are some conversations I've had where I thought, "Wow, okay, well that's a completely different experience to the, the last six people I spoke to." So those people who are in logistics, in pharmaceutical, in tech, and even recruitment have had an amazing few months because all those sectors have completely boomed. So, you know, there are there are some winners in this. Mm. You know, I think there are more casualties than not, but there definitely are some but winners. There's some great winners. There's yeah, some yeah. great winners. I knew this. as someone actually, yeah, um, I'm not going to say his name actually, but he's been here um, one time. Okay. But he's like a friend of mine now, I would say. And like, he actually smashed it with the um, hand sanitizer thing right. from really early yeah. so I can't one, maybe one day I'll, if he wants to talk about it I'll get him to come <laughs> here and, dis and discuss it yeah? mm -hmm. but I think when he started to realise that this was the direction that we, he, we were going in mm -hmm. I think someone had told him something about some hand sanitizers that they couldn't, he couldn't get rid of he just took them started reaching out to some companies or whatever mm -hmm. everyone because you know it was like hand sanitizers became like um, toilet paper mm. you know people were going out and just buying them and then yep. you just couldn't get them anywhere and some people wanted them in bulk mm. so you know he was able to go and sell some to this company then the company again said that they wanted even more yeah. so he was able to get more and more and more and more and more and then in that period of time he was able to take home a substantial amount of money yeah. on um, capitalising in the situation that we're in and I think that is that definitely speaks to the um, entrepreneurial spirit that some people have and being able to adapt mm. to the scenarios that you might uh, like you know face unexpectedly yeah I mean look it's, it's a simple question around supply and demand you know, demand and supply and for some reason hand sanitizers became the commodity of, of, of our age um, and you know they were selling out everywhere you know I remember there were articles about local shops who were charging Ten pounds for you know the sanitizers or yeah, yeah, things yeah. like that. Bossman, some yeah, bossman. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, people like were absolutely violating because they knew they could. They knew the demand was strong. Mm. Um, so you know, I think for sure there's been some people who've definitely gained during this market, and I think there are always winners in this market. Yeah. If you look at 2008, 2009 financial crisis, there were lots of winners in that time as well. But I think this is slightly different. You know, fundamentally, our economy wasn't broken before. COVID arrived. You know, it was fragile in some places and as I said, we were coming back of a very sort of stagnant 2019. But you know, twenty twenty was kind of looking okay. Yeah. Uh, so fundamentally, you know, had COVID not happened, I think we would have been in a very different place right now as an economy. Hundred percent. Um but you know, but unfortunately that that came in sort of disrupted things. What do you use to keep yourself commercially aware and up to date on the goings yeah. on and the financial market? So I think it's just literature. Um, if I'm honest with you, I don't really look to tabloids for my news. 
Um, you know, you go to sources that you trust, you know. So for me, being in finance, the Financial Times is something I read a lot. The Economist is something I read a lot. Mm. But also, I think what I always say to people is if you're trying to find out, you know, more than one perspective, if you see a headline that grabs your attention, Google that headline and just mm. see how many raw articles you can find that may give you a complete different spin on, mm. on one article that you've read. I think that's really important. Um, but yeah, there, there's so many outlets. I mean, what I, what I do say is be careful on some of the information you consume because we're in an age where everybody feels that they can speak on everything. Exactly. And I genuinely believe that you don't need to have an opinion on everything. Mm. You know, if I, if I come on the show and you ask me about astronauts, I know nothing about that. And I'll be honest, but I feel like <clears throat> people have platforms now and therefore they feel they talk about any situation. And the reason why that's dangerous is because if you're talking from an uninformed perspective and somebody comes across that for the first time, that now becomes their view of that subject. Yeah. And so I think we have a responsibility. These platforms have a responsibility to make sure that if we don't generally have knowledge on a subject, just look, say I don't and be honest yeah. with it. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so just be careful on some of these YouTube clips and everything else, you know, these clickbait things that yeah, yeah, yeah. you know people will push out purely because it benefits them. Of course. And then, do you know what it is as well? It's sometimes the conviction that people speak in yeah. that can really throw you off in it because mm. it seems like they know what they're talking about through yeah. the conviction, but really <laughs> they, they, yeah, they don't. Um, do will hyperinflation happen? Um, well, I mean, at the moment, we're, we're kind of the opposite of that at the moment. You know, inflation is somewhere around 0.5%. Um, you know, hyperinflation is when you're talking about some of the countries in Africa where they're, they're printing out million dollar notes because it doesn't buy you even a loaf of bread. Um, I, I don't think we're, we're there yet. I don't think there's any signs that we're going to see hyperinflation. If anything, I think there's talk about potentially negative interest rates, interest rates going negative. Mm. Um, and that remains to be seen if that would be the case. There are some countries, Switzerland or Japan, for example, who are currently operating with negative interest rate. Some economies introduce that as a stimulus to try and get the economy moving. Because if we do go negative, all of a sudden, the money you have in the bank as a deposit, you have to pay to keep your deposits in the bank. And so you'll think, well, okay, what else can I do with this money rather than leave it in the bank and have to pay for it? Mm. So I think, you know, it will definitely force people to think differently. So I think that's perhaps maybe the conversation around, are we going to have negative interest rates uh, rather than hyperinflation at this time? Are we expecting the property market to crash? So, so I think property market is always an interesting one. You know, there's two things in life that we are always going to need, you know, and that's food and shelter. So I think sometimes people look at property as if it's a commodity that, you know, sort of fluctuates crazily up and down. I wrote an article on my blog, um, which I released a couple of weeks ago um, okay. ab about that. And it's, you know, the title was, when is the right time to buy a property? I think you have to really consider the market you're in when it comes to property. So and the reason why I say that is because if you're buying a property that's worth less than a million, for example, there's a massive market available of people who can afford a house less than a million pounds. Yes. Especially when you consider mortgages and everything else. The lower you go on that scale, the bigger the market becomes. Because yes. if you look at the average house price in the UK, it's less than half a million. So actually, if you're buying a house and you're a first time buyer and you're buying something for 400,000, you can't really expect to go in there and grab a bargain. Particularly if it's a new build. The reason being is because there's a base cost. If you're a developer and you just built this brand new house, there's a minimum price you're gonna let that go for because you've got cost you need to recoup plus whatever profit you've got on top. So it's not very easy to think that, oh, there's gonna be a crash and therefore mm. I'm the first time buy, I'm gonna get yeah. a great deal. <clears throat> that's what I think that's probably the, the, a big misconception about yeah. that, you know? Because I think a lot of people, and there's a, another, a question in there from what someone sent me, but mm. I think that people might have these ideas of 
they're just like the I don't know the the like property like being able to get a property for like sixty bags or something like that. If I in London, yeah, I mean, uh, so look, th- there are distressed assets that you can pick up. You know, if you go to auction and you you, you, know, you find something that has been completely distressed or something okay. that's been repossessed, um, and so I guess it really depends on your situation and your intention. Because you know, yeah, if you're looking for something that is completely run down uh, and that you're going to have to spend money on to actually bring up to standard, then yeah, sure, you can grab yourself a bargain here or there. I think first of all, understanding the situation of the seller is very important. So as yeah. a buyer, you can get some really good intelligence from agents because if you know that you're buying a house that a is being sold because of probate, so when somebody dies, or B, a divorce, that tends to really move at pace. And that's where you can really get some bargains because they have a reason to make that happen very quickly. Mm. If it's a probate and someone's passed away, the relatives or the people who've inherited just want to get the equity out. And so mm. they'll be like, you know what, we'll strike a deal. If it's a divorce, there's probably one of them who don't want to sell the asset. Yeah, exactly. There's another who's dying to get their hands on the money. Yeah. And they'll just, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So for, for the purposes of, of that, they'll probably just let it go for you know a price that otherwise they wouldn't. So it depends on the, on the situation of the seller. Yeah, because um, someone, again, there was a question here that said, is now the best time to buy a house given the economic fall um, and potential recession we're about to face? Does it mean we can mm-hmm. get houses on the cheap or does it mean that inf- or does it mean just inflated interest? Um, which I guess you've kind of answered. Yeah, I think what people also need to be aware of is that, you know, during this whole COVID crisis, it's not just an issue about assets that have been impacted, right? At the moment, there are about, 8.9 million people on furlough which yes. is a job retention scheme right now that furlough is going to come to an end in October yes when that comes to an end I know for myself there are lots of businesses who are not intending to keep all those individuals who are now being furloughed because once that government assistance goes away these companies haven't generated any revenue for months they, they have no money they've probably had to go and borrow some of this business interruption loan to keep things ticking so the real impact is going to be felt once the furlough ends. And don't forget, to get a mortgage, to buy a house, it's all about your income. It's all about yes. affordability and all those elements as well. The kind of knockoff effect of, of what's happening is that banks are now restricting their loan to values. So that's simply the amount that they'll lend you up to, meaning that people are perhaps going to need a bigger deposit to get themselves a property. So it doesn't work sort of in your favor constantly just because we're in this crisis doesn't mean that prices are cheap for houses and therefore everybody can get some you have to really consider the sustainability of your income and affordability and all those elements as well it's the pros and cons element of it isn't it correct I guess if you if you are if you if you've been preparing for a long time yeah then maybe it might work in your benefit in a in a really good way but if you haven't really been preparing for or you've been preparing at a short um space of time mm. then maybe it may not work in the favor that you feel it could work in. but i don't think you can completely control it because you know when the bank started retracting the loan to values that's nothing you could do about it that's that's not a decision that you could take the banks have basically come out and said because of the current state of the economy we don't want to take too much risk when we're looking at loan to value so we're going to restrict that a bit we want you to put more skin in the game effectively put some of your own money in it before you know we sort of take all the risk so that's something that you could have been preparing with your deposit and your stamp duty and everything ready to go but now all of a sudden you need to find a bit more money to cover your deposit yeah so i think there are circumstances beyond our control that you know you have to also consider fair um someone actually <clears> asked <throat> Um, what can young what can young people expect in terms of the job market once the government ends this furlough scheme in September? 
so, so I think it's it's that uncertainty, quite frankly, that, as I said, there's a lot of uh, employers at the moment who are really just trying to figure out how they shape their business going forward, you know, how they're going to operate. Uh, those of those people who were slow to digitize their experience for customers are really feeling it now because if all you have is a shop front and nothing else, you've not made a single penny during this whole lockdown unless you've introduced a new way of being able to deliver your services. So what can people expect from the job market? I think, you know, unemployment is definitely going to rise, unfortunate as, it's, as it is. Um, and so I think there is going to be perhaps some hesitation from companies, you know, when it comes to grad schemes and things like that, because technically those are things that they can perhaps cut back on effectively. So I think that there's going to be a tricky market for, for a period of time. And I think we'll really know the outcome once the furlough scheme ends mm. and we see what position companies are really in. There's going to be a tricky market, but there's also going to be a tricky um, uh, mindset with people in that situation too because with this means that some people are going to find themselves very emotionally and mentally unstable because of it because it's very difficult to you know be in a in a situation where you've got bills to pay yeah. uh, rent to pay all of mm. these things and not being able to pay it and like that kind of worries me a bit because mm. I know that people talk about the Great Depression isn't it? it feels like there's a good chance that you know we talk about it a lot now depression depression mm. isn't so much of a a taboo yeah as it once was but i think that with what's happening now or what is potentially about to happen mm. you know we're going to actually experience a lot more of that around us isn't it so i think maybe financially preparing yourself as best mm. as you can mm. is one thing but i guess mentally preparing yourself yeah. um, and trying to look at all of the different options beforehand um, and trying to gather a perspective yeah. is equally as important, right? Completely agree. I think there are definitely circumstances here beyond our control, and that's the bit we need to be aware of. Uh, and that's where the psychological element comes into it, because yeah. it's not always about how prepared you are. It's about the elements that you just don't foresee that yeah. occur. Um, and so, you know, I, I asked a question on my Instagram the other day about people's financial well-being you know with everything that's going on there's a lot of distractions and I just wondered how people were coping in terms of the financials and what was the general and consensus I would say 80% came back positive and said actually I've, I'm in the best financial position I've ever been in mm -hmm. I've had a few months of low expenditure some people have retained the same level of income and so now they've got a bigger surplus income every month and they've been able to pay off debt they've been able to start saving they've been yeah. able to start investing so I think a lot of people have used this time really to press the reset button but that needs to be sustained. And those ind individuals need to also consider if that income is going to continue. Because if it isn't going to continue, then they're gonna need to use some of that money they've just been yeah. saving to actually then live yeah. off going forward. So I think you know, a lot of people are in a better financial position than they were before you know, COVID started. And I think we all need to kind of reflect because even myself, I've looked you know, over these last months and thought there are certain luxuries that we normally have, which we feel we can't live without. I think the lockdown has shown us all that actually, do you know what? The most important things that matter are people and conversations. Yes. And it's not really about where you are, but who you're with. Yes. And 100%. That, that is going to be the new tradable commodity of actually, you know, what we sort of value going forward. What are um, the best uh, investment options for those with a smaller capital? So like uh, 10K mm. below, what, what would you say maybe um, some of their best options? So I think first and foremost, and I always say this, uh, but before anybody starts seeking solutions for investing, 
I think they need to firstly identify their need. Okay. And I think a lot of people neglect. We discussed this. that before, didn't people we? People yeah. neglect this. So I wrote an article again on, on my blog about that, about investments, where the smart money goes, um, because jumping to conclusions without really identifying your need could be could be risky, mm. because you need to really firstly identify what your objectives are, how long you've got to put that money to work, how much risk you're willing to take, i.e. How much this money can you afford to lose that really shapes the decision that you take but let's start from the basics so you know you've got cash cash is the safest you know investment it doesn't really give you any return because interest rates are low at the moment but if you want to build up from cash uh, then you've got you know things like ISAs where you can you know link them to investments uh, and that you know whilst it's linked to an investment becomes a bit more riskier because all of a sudden now you're putting it onto the market but a cash ISO is probably you know the kind of the safe bet and also you get your tax incentives from there as well a gear up from there will then be things like deposit accounts, notice accounts that you lock the money away for a period of time and you have to give a certain length of notice before you can access that money. Uh, and then you look at perhaps maybe uh, fixed interest investments. So that could be in the form of bonds, government yes. bonds, corporate bonds. Uh, you can look at things like gilts, government gilts, index linked gilts. So these are all effectively where you, you, you already agree the rates you're going to be paid over a set period of time okay. and you, you, you know what you're in for. Um, you know, once you want to sort of step up, then you can look at stocks and shares, whether that's FTSE 100, yes. S&P okay. 500, yeah. you're looking at companies, you're looking at buying a stake in a company. Uh, and again, depending on the capital you've got, that would kind of dictate how much you can actually buy for looking at stocks and shares. But if you want something a bit more exotic, then you can look at things like peer-to-peer -peer lending, uh, you can look at crowdfunding, uh, you can look at sort of property investments. You know, These days you have platforms where you can invest in a portion of a property rather than owing it all. So mm -hmm. you invest a certain amount, you get you know income from the rental that property generates, and every five years or so they sell the asset, and based on the share you've invested, you get your money back out. So there are loads of things to consider, but I think I can't tell you to jump to any of those conclusions until I know what you're trying to achieve. Okay, cool. Because that, uh, that essentially answers a question that someone sent to me, which mm. was, um, they were talking about building a solid financial portfolio, Yeah. Um, where they asked, um, they work in a decent nine to five in their twenties. Where should I be placing my money mm -hmm. um, for the best chances of being financially stable when I'm older? Bonds, savings accounts, property, and then they said help to buy mortgages usually fit the criteria. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is help to buy mortgages worth it? So I think help to buy mortgages is um, an a, an option for you to access the market. So some people having got enough deposit to buy a property outright without these sort of government incentives. Yeah. It's worth it if you don't have the means in order to do it on your own. Uh, but obviously you have to acknowledge the restrictions that it comes with. If you're, if you're using uh, help to buy, the maximum property value is 600,000, know, which for a lot of people, as I mentioned earlier on, average house price in the UK is less than half a million. So you know that, that covers you. Um, but you know, effectively, there's an equity loan option there where you're getting a loan from the government. Uh, add that to the mortgage you get, and that effectively gets you that house. But be aware that with most new builds, and you know, they are restricted to new builds. So if you're somebody who's trying to buy a house with potential that you want to develop someday, then you know you're probably not going to find many of those, especially in mm. London, because a lot of these help to buy properties are flats. Uh, and you know a lot of new build properties are that as well, which you know a lot of the time 
they will decrease in value before they even go up. A lot yeah. of new builds, as soon as you move into it, well, it's no longer new, uh, and you can't go and build yourself an extension on top of it. So there's very little you can do in terms of adding value to a new build property. So be aware of those factors. But other than that, um, you know, if that's your only access into the property market, then you know it's it's there. Lots of people are using it, um, and it's definitely an option to consider. Fair. All right. On the flip side of that, though. Yeah. Um, given the current market situation mm. and unpredictability, mm. would you recommend that one fully removes themselves from the stock market investments? Yeah. Or do you think that it's valleys and plateaus and eventually everything will just like rise up again? So if you're already invested in the stock market and you decide to leave whilst it's going through a downturn, what you're doing effectively is crystallizing your loss, right? Because you probably bought in at a point where it was higher than what it currently is now. Mm -hmm. So you leaving now, you've crystallized that loss and okay. you've gone. If you stay in and you, you sort of ride the storm, ultimately the stock markets are gonna bounce back. You yeah. know, global trade and productivity will eventually return to some normality. If you look at those who were invested during 2008, 2009 crisis, even if you entered the market at that point, you probably enjoyed 10 years of growth after that. Whereas okay. if you left because you thought everything was crumbling, well, you've missed out on 10 years of growth. Yeah. So if you're in the market now, leaving only crystallizes it. But again, if you need to access that cash and that capital and that's your only option, then you know you don't really have an option there. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say, you know, leave when it gets bad because again, all you're doing is making that loss real. Yeah, and I guess that, wouldn't that somewhat defeat the purpose of doing that really because well not necessarily because yeah. it could just get worse and worse and worse and worse it could, and you might yeah, want to yeah. just it's like damage limitation in it so yeah. but i think that in these moments mm. are the moments where potentially it could end up really paying off in the long run could yeah, well absolutely look yeah, I, I, think I guess it's all about it's risk and reward isn't it it is when you're investing the whole concept is you buy low you sell high yeah exactly right and so if you're trying to sell low then you're, you're definitely not going to be around when when it gets high mm. uh, and so it is a risk and reward crystallizing the loss though I like that you're word, crystallizing so. the loss I mean yeah. that that is the terminology if, if yeah. that's what you're trying to do during a downturn um, but I think you know you do have to be conscious and it goes back to all the questions that you need to ask yourself and I call it the readiness test of you know how long have you got how much you know have you actually got to put to this type of investment and how much risk you know, can you afford to take what's your risk appetite how much of this money could you afford to lose without you having to kind of sell everything up and, and, and sort of you know relocate effectively yeah if you answer all those questions you have to be patient with the markets do this is not the time to be speculative with it this is not the time for you to just kind of throw some money at it and think i'm going to make a quick change yeah, next yeah, week yeah. this is not the time for that i think it's so important to throw that out there you know yeah because i know even when I was looking at questions and I was formulating questions and stuff that, and just even my own thinking, mm. yeah, and conversations I've been having with people, I think that sometimes in this, people feel like there's a super, there's like a big commercial gold mine in here. Yeah. And that like, yeah, do you know what? Now I could just fling money on this yeah. and that and put it on that. And then in five years time, we'll walk away with five mil. And it's like, I don't, I'm not sure it's gonna be like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it might be for some people. Yeah, yeah. If you figure out the the really the smart thing to invest your money in or whatever, yeah. mm. but I don't think that it's a given. Yeah. I don't think that in this period that we're facing now, that just investing your money is going to guarantee that you're going to walk away with some big peas. You can't be speculative, and that's what it's about. This isn't a time where you just throw money at something and and pray that it's going to throw a lot back at you. Because you know that's, if in my opinion, an easy way to lose your money. I think you have to be thorough. 
you have to research the things you're going to put your money into. It shouldn't be a mistake. It shouldn't be an accident. And I think it's wrong to start off by asking, where should I put my money? Because that, again, may not meet your requirements. So it has to really be driven by advice. What's the right thing for you based on what you are trying to achieve? Mm. You and I could have the same amount of money, but I may have a 12, 15 year horizon where you might need that money back next year. So there's no way you and I can take the same action with that money mm -hmm. because I can afford to perhaps give it some years for it to go up and down and fluctuate you can't afford to lose that money so you have to really start from your situation and what your objective is yeah yeah when you just said that as well it just made me think about which is which is out of context mm. but it is about knowing you know your financial capabilities because you see on the road a lot yeah people standing next to a person who's got a big bank yeah <laughs> they've got the big bank yeah but they're the per like they have decent bank yeah they got a decent bank but they think you know what i'm standing next to my man or whatever mm. i'm gonna flex because yeah, he's doing yeah. whatever it is that he's doing but yeah. you're not knowing yourself because yeah. he can do it yeah. purely because his extenditure yeah, yeah. is a lot longer than yours i mean he can go on forever and do this whereas you you could potentially burn out so quick yeah. i feel like that is a disease within our community you know it's so dangerous to be in secret competition with people when you don't know their source of wealth and you don't know how deep their pockets go. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, you could have 10,000 pounds in your bank account. They could have 300,000. Yeah. They could have 10 million. And yes, they might wear the same watch as you, drive the same car as you, but that to them is just the surface. Yes, exactly. That to you could be all your assets. And so even when the end result appears equal, it always isn't equal because how you got there could be completely different. And so I always say, you know, don't judge people by how they spend their money, judge them by how they make it because we can all spend money in the same way and we could all look very even because we wear the same clothes and go to the same places. But like I said, for somebody that could just be surface level, for somebody that could be everything they've got. I think, again, people need to be able to really look deep inside themselves and think, and, and that's why I think, you know, these last three months, hopefully has given people that opportunity to really self-reflect and think, do I really need these things that, you know, I'm sort of dying to get? Mm. Or can I actually just survive on the essentials and actually build something more fundamental? Mm. Um, this isn't so much a question, but um, it will be interesting to hear your perspective on this, because I think this, must be quite maybe a common conversation that you may have with people who are starting to come into a bit of money mm. but um, someone says well how does one attain financial independence coming from a working class background I grew up poor but since becoming a dentist but since but since I become a dentist and whilst my co and whilst my colleagues are ready to buy practices and property I yeah. feel that I'm starting to now support my family financially mm. over the next 10 years i feel that despite having the same earning potential as my peers mm. they they will exceed me due to generational wealth mm. whereas i'll be struggling to sustain mm. what is deemed a moderate lifestyle when it comes to um when it comes to big and utmost essential purchases such as family home car wedding and um uh, children's savings so yeah he's talking about financial independence from coming from a place of you know um, maybe a lower class background yeah um, and then now being the, the a bread the breadwinner bread in the family yeah. mm. and trying to be able to function within that um, 
Is that something that you've had conversations on? And what what is your take on that anyway? Yeah, I think look, it's I, I definitely empathise with that, um, and I recognise the challenge that a lot of us have in this community, in our community. Um, you know, certainly the community I grew up in, where you know there are a lot of ethnic minorities who are all striving to try and do the best they can, um, and then one or two you know are able to actually start making some really good money you know get good careers or start their own businesses and are able to actually elevate themselves beyond the surroundings that they've, they've they've been brought up in and the challenge is always that you know you can't change your circumstances you can't change the family you were born into uh, and so there could be somebody else a colleague who is earning the same amount as you but doesn't have to support their family and you do there's, there's nothing you can do about that reality I think what you know in this particular case be patient because you know when I was growing up and I saw you know people my age driving all the nice cars while I was still taking a you know taking the bus you know if I thought that that's all I'd ever be I would have probably never sort of focused and worked hard because I thought I've already lost the race you know this is a marathon it's not a sprint right you never know that these family members that you're helping now may grow up and have the biggest break and before you know it they're supporting you mm. so don't ever feel bad or feel that you're being trapped um, because everybody else is out doing their own thing you know in the last time I was there we talked about how communities pull together and some families and some households they pull their income together they all buy the home that they live in even if it's a council flat or a council house they use the right to buy option to actually acquire that property they all put their names in the mortgage whilst they're earning and then a couple of years later they can sell that property or you know another person can sort of join one person can go off and do their own thing so it may seem like you're being held back but actually what you're doing is actually building some foundation mm. I think you have to take one for the team at times so like mm. I said there are family members in there that you're helping now who are probably going to become the next big thing you just never know yeah, it's true. and so don't ever look at somebody else's situation and try and compare yourself too closely because they may not have any of those pressures but equally you're building so much resilience that they may not probably ever know how to cope with mm. so they might hit their first financial difficulty and all of a sudden they completely crash whereas because you've been sustained and sensible and you've been steady in your approach you're very resilient mm. and so you may last much longer than they do well talking about com uh, community yeah um, the black pound yeah um, there's been obviously in this current climate now there's mm. which we've been talking about a lot on the podcast and just like other platforms that I've been working with as well yeah you know the uncomfortable conversations that we are having actually before I even get into that mm -hmm. let's talk about this from your perspective actually yeah. being a black man that works at the the level that you work at mm. how from your experience have you found it so I think you know first and foremost I'm a black man and I'm proud to be a black man um, my career and coming through uh, a industry which is predominantly filled with people that don't look or sound like me yes. um, was always something I was conscious of um, and so you know very early on it was you know really being able to train my mind to just be very aware and focused on my actions and what I could control I think in terms of this current situation um, it has brought that back to the fore you know because I watched that video uh, of George Floyd in, in bed I think when I woke up one morning and I had snoozed my alarm a couple of times and I watched that and my first reaction was that could be me mm. and not because I've committed any crime but simply because I'm black and that's a fact that we can never escape from because you know 
the, the very nature of what's happened here is that you know it's not something that's happened overnight this is systematic and has been going on for hundreds of years so i think for me as a black man i need to now be able to you know what i do here in trying to share knowledge and uplift people is all from that conscious place that i know that people of my kind people in my community people that i grew up with are perhaps lacking some of this knowledge and so i'm one that I want to take action and I want to help people and I want to be able to spread the knowledge and give some of the you know what I've learnt in over the you know, past decade or more to other people so they can benefit from it as well. Yeah. But it's an uncomfortable place to be because I think, you know, it's the kind of elephant in a room which is no longer the elephant in a room. Some people say they don't see colour. Well you should see colour because you see age, you see gender. Exactly. And you should see what makes people unique and individual so you can appreciate what makes them who they are. Yeah. Um, and in the workplace, like just being in like the the circles that you move in, mm. do you, like do you see people that look like you? It's getting better now. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I've been in this industry for what, over twelve years, and it's it's getting better. It's getting better. Yeah. You know, clearly it's still disproportionate in terms of what it could be. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think it's up to people like me to make it known that it is possible to be in this industry. Yeah. You know, to be a black private banker, uh, to be an investment manager, to be a wealth manager, or whatever it is you want to be. Um, so no, it, it it doesn't you know look anywhere near how I would like it to look. But I think it is getting better, um, and I think we need to keep continuing breaking the barriers to, to make it you know more comfortable. I guess we speak a lot about ownership yeah. and um, you know investing in our own communities and stuff like that. Mm. I feel like it, this is uh, this is not a hot take, but yeah. um, like as like in black communities particularly yeah we in this period have not necessarily been as great mm -hmm. as others in in putting money back into our own communities communities yeah. i've always felt like we essentially have felt like fallen the lowest in mm -hmm. that you know i there's like for example you know um I give a lot of ratings to Polish people in fact actually because in the area that I grew up in mm. or in the area that I live in now um, I've been there for quite a, a period of time over the like the last five, six, seven years they've come there they've got loads of shops there's a, a lot of them congregating around investing in themselves and doing all of that mm. and like I've always felt that we haven't been as good at doing that but now there's conversations about that. There's conversations about investing in our own communities and stuff. So, and yeah. so I ask, um, how do we, how do we go about supporting and building a black economy? Hmm. Um, and where do we start? Like, how do we pull in? How do we pull resource? So I think this is something that's really close to my heart. And you know, over the last few weeks, I've been having a lot of conversations with a variety of people in terms of you know, the systematic approach we take to this. I think first and foremost, just to kind of address some of the, the sort of concerns I've heard uh, regarding this particular topic, um, you know, for those people who are threatened by the concept of us saying we need to invest in black businesses in the black community, I think here's my explanation of why that isn't really a problem for you. Because if you're in business, and you're any good at the job you do in your business, you welcome competition. You don't hear about competition and close your shop, okay? So just to put it into context, when you walk into a supermarket and you go down the bread aisle, 
you see 10, 15, 20 different brands of breads. Some new ones come, some old ones go. That's just the circle of life, okay? But they are not afraid of the competition. In fact, they thrive from the competition. Our problem as the black community is, our black bakers cannot even get on that shelf. So by us saying we need to invest in black businesses, we're not saying close down every other shop. What we're saying is, what we're saying here is that we are trying to contribute to the options that are available for the consumer. But not only that, we want to be the guardians of that. We want to be the custodians. We want to be the beneficiaries of that produce. And that's all we're asking for. You know, if you go into any retail park, there's a KFC, there's a Burger King, there, there are McDonald's, they're all grouped in together. Why? Because the economy is simple, that if you have these sort of services in the place, you drive a certain level of footfall. You all benefit from that level of footfall. So for anybody who hears that, you know, we need to invest in black owned businesses and try and uplift that and becomes concerned, then you're probably not doing a very good job at your business mm. because competition should enable you to grow. It should enable you to innovate. It should enable you to thrive. And what we're not saying here is that we want to create black owned businesses that can only ever be consumed by black people. All right. That's not where we want to be. All right. Because if we do that, we are limiting our own access to the market. Exactly. Right. We want to create a product owned Especially by as majorities. Correct. That, that would make no sense. It would make no sense for us to create something and exclude the majority. Mm. Because yes. Callum, you can buy. Yeah, everybody can buy, <laughs> right? <laughs> I would have anyway. I appreciate you letting me know. Listen, any, anybody yeah. can buy, right? Yeah, but so I don't think anybody should hear that and be concerned or alarmed and say, oh, you know, what about my family business and we haven't done anything wrong and therefore this isn't about that. If this is a concern to you, then clearly your business is already shaky and a strong wind will probably blow you over. You need to embrace competition and this is what we're trying to do. Until we can get some black bakers on that shelf, mm -hmm. then we still have work to do to take positive action. And this, you know what? We, I was having a conversation with Callum actually. Remember, out of something else we were talking about when I was saying to you that like competition yeah. is like, like it's yeah. good for everyone. If one person or just two people are doing something, yeah, yeah, then that's not great. Like you need more. Yeah, you need more competition because everyone like thrives on that actually I was reading I'm reading 50 Cent's book yeah mm. and um, there's a part where he talks about uh, Lamborghini and Ferrari mm. and he was saying that like Ferrari how Ferrari had started their business or whatever yeah and like was making a certain type of car then Lamborghini was doing their own thing and making a different type of car but he wanted something from yeah. Ferrari Ferrari wasn't so, yeah, really trying to give it then yeah, he was like yeah, you know yeah. what I'll make my own yeah I'm gonna make my own and yeah. what that did was that made Ferrari say hold on what like, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Now yeah. look at them both now. A yeah. hundred years later. Yeah. Competition pushes you to, mm. do, to do better. So, so if anything, I think we should all be encouraging this to have more option and more choice in the marketplace. You know, I think there's some research um, which was conducted by um, the IPA, uh, which is the Independent Practitioners in Advertisement uh, in 2016 about, you know, how much is the black spending power in the UK? And the figure was somewhere around 300 billion. I'm a bit skeptical about that number because I've also seen those reports go back as early as 2012. So, you know, between 2012 and 2016, I imagine that 300 billion is probably a lot more. Yeah. And more importantly, 2020, I imagine that figure is definitely a lot more. Yeah. So, you know, I think we need to kind of really kind of get some data 
on what that really that looks like. That would be so um, interesting because yeah. it would be so it would be interesting to look at the the pie of where of that where money going. essentially yeah, yeah. is going. I yeah. mean, we'll never know like, exactly where, but when you talk about like you know clothes or yeah. you know furniture or yeah. whatever it may be just yeah. to see the percentages of where that money is going yeah absolutely i mean it would definitely be interesting i think f for us as a community that's where we need to start you know we really need to reimagine the economics um of of our people and how we work and what we want to put in place um i think you know a lot of these things about investing in our businesses it isn't just a question about you know putting things on the shelf for the sake of it but i think we have to uphold the standards that everybody does you know as a business but we do have to acknowledge that we're trying to perhaps do this at a time where we do have a global crisis happening at the moment yeah so we need patience yeah i don't want people to kind of have a knee-jerk reaction to this and they don't see the immediate results and think oh this is never going to work because at the moment there are well-established companies who are struggling yeah and most of us are probably coming to this from an early stage and so we have to be patient with this as well i think also as well yeah we need um as you said we need patience um i think that we need to also try to keep a certain perspective as well that like sometimes it might mean that you know, if I go and I get something from a black-owned business or mm. whatever, there could be a chance that it might be a tiny bit more expensive than it is somewhere else. But that being expensive mm. doesn't mean that this person is trying to profit off you in a bigger way. It's because sometimes of how much money mm. they may have to spend on the small bulk that they're getting. Yeah. So for example, okay, a better way of putting it here, this is just one scenario, yeah. is that if I'm if I'm if I'm starting a clothing company yeah yeah and I want to go to the same place that another clothing company goes to but they're well established mm. uh, they've got a lot of bankroll or whatever mm. they can go to the manufacturers and and say you know what I want this t-shirt mm. um, and I want you know 70,000 70,000 um, of them yeah. so with that you're going to get it for a lot cheaper but I might want the same quality, mm. but I can't get 70,000 of them because I don't have that type of money. Sure. I might only be able to get 5,000 of them, yeah. which then means that I'm going to end up spending more money yep. on it, which then means I might have to charge a little bit more. More money per unit. More money per unit. So it doesn't mean that, you know, uh, this is because I'm trying to, because sometimes I think that we can be very quick to look at that and think, oh, you're my, like, you know what I mean? We, we come from the same place and you're yeah. trying to bump me. Yeah, yeah. But there's a process yeah. in order to, yeah. to build the economy yeah. in the way that we want it to, in yeah. the way that we want it, yeah. and in the space that we want it. Yeah. And sometimes it means that we might have to do that at times. I think what people need to do is really learn how to remove the emotion from the economy. Yes. Because like you said, if you're a business owner and you're trying to survive and you're trying to offer a service, you have to think about your cost of doing business. And so whatever you, you sell, you price accordingly. And it's not a conversation about, oh, we're from the same place and therefore your product shouldn't cost this much. I'm sorry, but that's not a metric that you put into your business plan that, oh, we're from the same place and therefore mm. I should be cheap or cheaper than the next person. I think part of this, and there's an interesting question actually to ask you, but with everything that's happening, Chucky, do people want equality or independence? Um, people want equality. I feel that people want equality. I mm. think where 
it get becomes tricky is how do you truly measure equality? Because mm. in equality, that means that sometimes I'm not going to get it. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yep. Like, you know, so for, I, okay, I'll give you um, a specific example. So let's just say in the context of, you know, maybe women, more women wanting, you know, a level, level, level playing field in a certain workspace or whatever yeah. it may be. So what that might mean is, okay, cool. I look at who is best for the job. Yeah. yeah? And so with that and mm. the equality state level of it, it's like, okay, cool. It just means that you, I'm going to pick this person over you. So we need to be able to measure what equality actually looks like. Because sometimes I know that there are times where something hasn't gone my way because mm. of the way that I've looked or because of the place that I, I've come from and people feel like I might be a certain type of way. Yeah. I know that for a fact yeah. that that has happened. But also, I know it sounds mad, but it's like, I want equality, 100%. But I don't want to be exempt from not getting it, mm. from not getting that thing. If I'm not good enough, I'm just not good enough in it. Yeah. Because, and that's great for me because that makes me think, okay, cool, I need to come back and do X, Y, and Z to and be better. Be better. Po yeah. Providing that it's on the basis of equality. Yeah. So that's a conversation in itself in how do we truly mm. measure equality once we have it. Yeah. So... Equality, independence. I don't know. I guess there's independence in there as well. A lot of, uh, in in some senses, but for me, it, it, independence in what sense? I, I, the reason I ask that question is because I think the two are very different things. Yeah. And um, and with everything that's happening right now, what I think we need is a uniformed objective. You know, something that we are trying to achieve together. And once we have that, then we have clarity we can then plan, we can then put a strategy together in terms of how we achieve it. If it's just about equality, then we're talking about systematic political reforms that will ensure a level playing field. My concern is that for our community, we have a level of dependence and we are not self-sufficient enough that even if something is equal, we are still very reliant on somebody else to kind of bring us to the table. So do you say, are you essentially saying that we need independence or, or it would be great to work on independence and which then kind of moves to the equality stage because then we're ready for it? I think so. In some way. It, it, I, absolutely. So I guess what I'm saying is, you know, not necessarily let's go and build our own island. Yeah. What I'm saying is I think once we start working on being self-sufficient, yeah within that process itself, we start creating opportunities that make us less reliant on other people giving us handouts. You know, I think the time of asking for permission is over. Everything that we're trying to achieve now, I think we have the resources, the knowledge, the contacts within ourselves to at least make a start. You know, when we're talking about the economy, what does a good economy need to flourish? You know, it needs a good labor market. If we're saying that we're gonna build our economy, we're creating jobs. Right? So all of a sudden, when we talk about equality, well, if we're now the custodians and the owners of the things we consume, we can kind of govern you know, how that works. Mm. Okay? And what we need is exchangeable, so the goods and services. And then we just need capital. We need working capital. So a lot of what we're trying to achieve here, if it is about independence or being self-sufficient, requires a financial stimulus, 
And that's an important part of this that we can't ignore. Because what I'm concerned about is we have all these small pockets of initiatives that are happening at the moment, but it doesn't truly address the core of how you build a sustainable machine that could actually run a city, if you like. You know, think of it, think of it like a game of Sims where you're building a town. Okay. Who have you got in that town to deliver the services that town needs to survive? Okay, if we can get to a point where we can point fingers to everybody that can deliver service in that town, then we're building up our economy that way. Right? We've got the services and the products and the people behind it who can offer those services. I think the challenge is, unless people are quite sure what they're looking for, some people are quite happy, Chuck, to say, I just want to be treated equal and just get on with my day and that's it. But some people are fighting for this black pound. Some people are fighting for us to say that we want more ownership. You know, I always say that, you know, there's a lot more money made in the in the shadows than in the limelight. Okay, how do we now shine a light in the dark in, in, in the in the shadows? How do we let people see what goes on in there around the ownership? You know, to be the real custodians, to be the owners of, you know, this globally exportable culture that we have that unfortunately we currently don't own. Mm, how about how do we have how do we how can we own certain things yeah. without having a level playing field with trying to get it? It's by building it. It's by building it. And you know, this this is where I mean as in this conversation for me, and this is an open invitation, but to sit down with our leaders and our influencers and people who've got the buying power and the resources to say, okay, let's reimagine what we want a fair society to look like for us. This isn't a question about putting plasters over wounds. This is about reimagining it completely and saying, how do we build this from scratch? Okay, and like I said, we're gonna need patience. We're gonna need trust. It's not a question about, oh, make space for us here. Mm. We're gonna build our own. Okay, and going back to that point about, this isn't trying to overthrow anybody else, but what we're trying to introduce is more competition and more yeah, choice, yeah, yeah. right? So that, that's the elements there. Got you. Um, another one on this, which was, um, what are the financial, what financial effects do you think the injection of the black pound mm. in black owned businesses will have on various industries? And how do you think these changes will influence social change with the black community and large companies in the long term? So I think the black pound, as I said earlier on, it's still trying for us to establish exactly how strong that is. Because the information that's currently out there, I don't know how accurate it is. I think it's a bit dated. You know, if you look at what's happened with our culture in the last few years, um, you know, how widely that's been exported and how well people are doing. Um, I, I think you know, the, our, our buying power is much stronger than perhaps what's currently being documented. Um, I think the impact of us doing this is that it's definitely going to create an initial surge. Okay. If we're saying we're going to focus on uplifting other black-owned businesses and trying to put, you know, circulate our money in our communities for longer, that's going to create an initial surge. You know, for most businesses, when you're trying to grow a brand or a business, it's very rare that you do that with your working capital. You need an injection of funds. The problem at the moment is that, you know, if you look at, say, a lot of these black-owned businesses, some of them don't have the resources to even put themselves in front of the mass market. You know, marketing budgets aren't cheap. So there are probably a lot of black owned businesses that you have to really search far and wide before you can find it. So I think there's an element here as well about growth. If let's say, for example, you know, there's talk about uh, the Black Pound Day. Yeah, which is um, the 27th, 27th yeah, of June. Okay, so that's going to create an initial surge to these companies. And that therefore is going to create, um, if you like, pressure on their supply. 
Okay. Yeah. Now I know lots of people who become a victim of their own success and yeah. the business is doing so well that they've had to close because they couldn't cope with it and mm -hmm. machines started breaking, they couldn't afford to repair it, et cetera, et cetera. So there's that element to think about. What we really need to do here is think about the, the kind of system behind it. How do we create access to funding for these people? You know, how do we create the, the sources where people can go to, whether it's a building society, whether it's a bank, you know, whether it's a fund, who can have that financial capital to support these people through real growth so that you know these brands that we are now putting in the spotlight can cope with the demand that's about to hit yeah you know I, just to when you talk here I was actually going to tweet something and I saved it let me see if I can find it but I was curious to find and this is just a, um, it's just a curiosity yeah so mm -hmm. and it's not that anyone has to do this let me see if I can find it um It just like, just jogged my memory right now. I'm sure it's here. Uh, oh no. But yeah, I was just sort of like lying down one day and I was thinking to myself, we've got a lot more black millionaires than that now. Mm. Like we've got a lot of people that make <clears throat> a lot of money in that. And I yeah. wonder if some of them, not that they have to, mm. but I wonder if some of them are having meetings mm. behind closed doors yeah. in, strategizing yeah. how to invest in some of these businesses i would really like to think that's what's happening but in truth is that what what is happening i don't know mm. um as i said i think this is a time where you know we're being driven by emotion i think there are a lot of people with heavy hearts out there um who want to see change but if you have all that passion and no strategy you end up with frustration i don't want us to get a few years down the line and you know all the people who've gone out there and sort of demonstrated their frustration and you know cry for change all the people who've died at the hands of brutality or inequality i don't want any of that to be in vain i don't want us to get down a few years and it just became a thing mm. and we're still back at square one and we still don't really have any sort of pulling power and, and we're still here effectively so like i said i think there does need to be a joined up approach here there needs to be some conversations because look before you introduce anything there's always a consultation phase you don't just jump straight into a solution i think you need to be considered you need to take a step back reimagine the whole thing right have conversations around the table with some people who've got the resources the knowledge the power you know and then try and figure out right what do we do as a unit what do we do together here you know where do we start what things do we address is it education is it trade you know how do we uplift our communities you know like you said there are enough millionaires who are ethnic minorities now that you think the places that we grew up from surely we should be finding ways to uplift that yeah right? yeah definitely but it, it isn't happening enough and no. so you know and i appreciate that sometimes when people make their money they're very cautious about doing anything that's going to impact that yeah and so perhaps maybe they're guarded by that and their image and their commitments and their endorsements and everything else that they don't want to step out of line but ultimately until we pull everybody through here we are still going to have that disparity you know there are some communities who probably do this much better than us and you mentioned some yeah and it's a question of well why is it that they're able to do it but We're some not, we but, can't. but like let's be honest i think some of it is like i think some of it is the way that we're conditioned man i don't think we trust each other enough. no we don't we don't trust each other we don't we don't we just think i think that we just in the back of our mind just think you're just gonna fuck it up yeah <laughs> like <clears throat> seriously you're just gonna fuck it up yeah and so you may not think it with those words yeah 
but that is the reason why there's a lack of it because yeah. really when you think about it you just mentioned you know well, how much how much billion did you say is so a, 300, 300 billion okay so that could be dated okay. so it could be more it could but be it could dated. be a little bit less whatever yeah but i think it would probably if it was dated i'm going to assume that it's more yeah. yeah so there's a lot of money that's mm. being spent which means that it's like all it all that needs to happen is an element of it being diverted in a certain place yeah yeah and i think that for us we have to like un unchain our minds into thinking that like I, I we're, 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 we're <clears throat> gonna fail I just think we can't be making public demands for change until we're ready to change ourselves yeah right because otherwise this is falling on deaf ears and you know as I said the time for asking for permission is over this is the time where we take our own destiny into our own hands now because there are enough of us in places of influence with knowledge and expertise and experience and resources that we can pull together. It just needs to be a joined up approach because the problem with having different pockets here and there is it starts becoming an internal competition of who can be the first to do it. And before you know it, that whole trust issue resurfaces and we say, oh yeah, they, they didn't do a good job of it. You know, you can't plan backwards. You can't set up a shop front until you actually have a business. It doesn't make any sense, mm -hmm. right? So we do need to be considered. Let's take our time with this. The problems we're facing or the problems that have resurfaced has always been there through our lifetimes for hundreds of years. So we're not gonna fix it overnight. No. We're not gonna fix it overnight, but what we do need to commit to is that sustained approach that we are going to make a change. Mm. And we can't ask for change unless we're willing to change. I think you and I need to trust each other. I need to be able to call you and say, Chucky, I need a hundred thousand pounds because mm. this is the new project we're doing and these are the you know, benefits of it and this is what we're going to make happen. And I need to be able to say, fine, you know, I trust your opinion, I know your credentials mm. and let's make this happen. It's just, it doesn't happen. You know, when I was growing up, I used to always see that whenever someone from our community was photographed with somebody from outside our community, the first thing was, oh wow, you've blown. They've made, made it. Ah, oh, bro. Can I interrupt you? Yeah, go ahead. I saw, um, it, some, there was an artist, right? Four years ago. Yeah. Had posted a picture of their team. Mm. Yeah. And it was a girl. And um, everyone, like the lawyer, mm. the entertainment lawyer, the A and R, the everyone. It was everyone that played a role in it was just not black, other than the artist, yeah. Mm. And looking at it, like everyone in the comments was like, "Oh my God, sick, whatever." You got, you're gone, mm. you're gone. But in me, in my mind, yeah, I was looking at it and I was thinking, this, what this person doesn't realize is, is that they are essentially showing you that this is what success looks yeah. like. Do you get me? And we, you may not be conscious of it when you look at it, but that now another artist who's striving to do X, Y, and Z wants a team like that. Mm. They want their team to look like that yeah. because that's what success looks like. And so, yeah, I think that like, you know, that is something that we, I mean, maybe now elements of that has changed a lot. Um, but yeah, I feel like we, we need a lot of work on that. But um but yeah, I feel as well, just before we, we move off this topic, yeah, mm. um, that the black pound idea of it being on, you know, the 27th and stuff, mm. I think the idea of it is really good. But I think that um, there's gonna, we just need consistency. So, you know, having one day is amazing, but yeah. we need, we need uh, essentially, we need more than the one day. 
you know what I mean? Oh yeah, but like but I also, said, so I just, sorry yeah, as well. No, yeah. But one of the things that I think could be really beneficial mm. out of that is that could be a day that you start doing research to find out who's actually doing what mm. and finding businesses that you just didn't know existed. Um, the other day, actually, just yesterday, um, I was doing something with Mo, the comedian, yeah, and he told mm. me about a, a beard oil company called. Um, by Aaron Wallace I didn't even know about it I okay. looked at the, the thing looked really good yeah. went on the website yeah. looked at the ingredients that they had ordered it, and I was like raw I'm in yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, in yeah. now because yeah. I'm part of this big thing <laughs> now and this is yeah. now where I'm yeah, very sure. likely mm. to get my beard oil from yeah. whereas I was probably just went down to the so you know the local shop, shop whatever yeah. the tech boss man and said yeah. yo what can I fling in my beard boss <laughs> you know I mean? Joe, that goes back to the point I made about the fact that we have to really look at the ecosystem and not just the you know the initial impact here yeah. you know because like I said there are probably a lot of these black owned businesses that don't have the resources to advertise themselves so that everyone's aware of who they are and so you know until we're able to help people to achieve that funding to grow their business to try and get it in front of people then there are perhaps still going to be a lot of companies who are going to miss out even during this black pound day because you have to kind of know about them to know about them yeah right and so i think you know and i've had loads of conversations the last few days about people thinking about building platforms that we can try and make this you know a more of a marketplace and everything else like that but like I said, there needs to be a conversation, I feel, still, yeah. where we talk about these things and say, what is our objective? What is the collective objective? What is the collective aim? Because I don't, I don't want all this passion and enthusiasm to go to waste or be in vain. And in a couple of years' time, nothing's nothing, changed. Yeah, nothing's, yeah, nothing's changed. And also, just to re uh, reiterate as well, yeah, this is not about us segregating ourselves. This is us about trying to be a part of the competition as you said and yeah. you know what if you feel as passionate about it as we do yeah. or even a little bit then join in because then we end up being a part of the competition and it's all more than welcome do you know what I mean um, i got more but I'm going to go to more of the general questions now Okay. Um, just before we wrap up but someone asked um, at what net worth assets and liquid cash combined will you both yourself an urban urban financer consider yourself financially free or financially successful you go first um everyone has a price chucky or do they do you know what yeah <laughs> everyone has a price everyone has a price, everyone has a price. um you know what if i'm being realistic yeah if i'm being realistic yeah once i can get to a point that i have mm. um businesses or a business mm. but I'd say businesses yeah mm. um, and that could come in any form I mean it, you, let's just you know to, to on a surface level we could say property and stuff like that mm. providing that I am able to make a certain amount of money a month through my businesses without me actually having to do anything yeah. to me I feel like I would feel financially successful at that point maybe at a lower level mm. but that would be the beginning of my financial success yeah. so for me if you want me to say actual figure mm. yeah for me to feel financially successful with that I need to be making at the bare minimum mm. at the bare minimum probably about I don't know maybe 10 to 12 bags a month okay and then that if I just had that without me doing anything else, I just sit down, regardless of what happens, I'm yeah. sitting down in my yard. I know every month 
there's 10 to 12 bags going in my account that is i know that that is at the bare minimum enough for me to be able mm. to pay my bills look after my family uh travel yeah. um eat well and experience things and also look after my health but in the ideal world mm. In the ideal world, and I believe I can get there. I actually Listen, you have I to speak into existence. I believe so I tell can us get your there. number. Tell us the figure. I believe yeah. I can get there, but like I feel that honestly, yeah, I feel like I could get to to a point where I'm getting. <laughs> Say it. <laughs> <laughs> He's nervous. Now, wow. I, do you know what? I know. I just in Chuck, my Chuck heart and soul, yeah, existence. I know I can get yeah. the meals. Okay. I know I can. How many? How many? Give give me a number. Also, notice how us two aren't surprised with you saying that because we probably believe you can. Right, I mean, I, I, feel I, like I, I was expecting it, you know, to come up with something. Believe you can. Yeah, yeah, I believe I can get Don't that. Stuff. No, but so I'm just talking from before. I'm talking about the bare minimum. Yeah. But like, and that is the lower level of my, of success here. Yeah. yeah. Of being able to just not be able to do anything and live off that. And that would be me for the rest okay, of my so life. Okay, so 10 to 12,000 a month gross a month, yeah. income. Exactly. Okay. But, bro, like honestly, mm. I believe I could hit I believe genuinely I could hit six to seven mil. Beautiful. Like as being as being humble with it. Yeah. But then there's the dream of the fifty, whatever. And like honestly, I say all of this, yeah, but ultimately this is subject to the perspective that I have in the fulfillment in what it is that I'm doing. Because mm. you know what, I could make all of that money and just not be happy. But the question wasn't really about that. The question was yeah. about financial thing. And I feel, and even then, I could make seven mil and be like, you know what, I want, I want another ten, and that, and you know what, and you know what, honestly, how my how I'm set up today, mm. that wouldn't be that wouldn't affect my men my mental, yeah, because that would just be a part of the sport for me. Yeah. It would be like, okay, cool. <clears throat> it wouldn't be like, oh my god, yeah, I'm super enjoying this. Yeah. Oh, now I'm not enjoying it anymore because I feel like I need to have this. I feel because he's got that I need to it would be more like right I've got this yeah I've got this now I can do that I've got this now I can try that and that is my mentality now anyway if I make something from a brand or whatever it is I'm like that's what that is mm. okay cool mm. I know I can get this I think what keeps happening is you you keep <clears throat> establishing your new levels and yeah. the new norms. Every time you strike a big deal, you're thinking, okay, now this is going to be my minimum and you're going to try and aim for more and more. I mean, that's an interesting question because look, when you look at even the Sunday rich list, okay, um, you have to take that with a pinch of salt. There are a lot of people on that who shouldn't be on there. Yeah. And there are a whole lot more people who should be on there yeah, who don't who yeah. don't get anywhere near there. Yeah. You have to understand that this whole thing about journalism, they're only as good as the data that's given to them. Yeah. And so, you know, I know for a fact that there's some people they've mentioned on there who they've considered their company's turnover as their net worth, but that, that that's not no. their net worth, no, no, no. right? So, you know, that's that interesting. And, and some people take a lot of pride in that. You know, they show up on there, they're like, yeah, you know, this means I'm, I'm worth X, Y, Z. Yeah. I always say to people, enjoy the process. Because I'm, like you said, as soon as you hit a number, now that becomes normal. Yeah, you, you want, want a new number. Yeah, you want a new number. Exactly. Um, and I think that's perhaps what's happened to me over my sort of career yeah. is that every time I've hit a number, I've normalised it and thought, right, okay, I keep going. But it depends what you're doing it for. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you said, once you're able to take. Care Are you of your prepared family, to say a number, bro? Wow, my number. <laughs> how big is a calculator? <laughs> how big is a calculator? <clears throat> what's my number? Um. If I had to give a number, yeah. and this isn't you know necessarily about 
selfish means or anything but you know i feel i've seen so many numbers in the sort of time that i've been around uh, entrepreneurs and business owners etc that you know I, i've seen i've seen the billions you know i've seen the i've seen the balance sheet where they've got 600 million pounds of properties or they've got you know businesses that turn over half a billion and i've seen that and so for me i think well okay that's attainable <laughs> right yeah, yeah, because yeah. It, it is attainable yeah because someone's um, that. and all it takes is one opportunity mm. you know for that six seven mil you want all it takes is one opportunity and you cut a check that then leads to another opportunity that leads to another opportunity so i've seen the process of how it can be attained and so you're going for the bill Oh, I'm not putting a limit to it. If I'm oh, neither am I. I mean, don't ever, don't ever get this. I'm not, I'll, I'll never ne turn down a fifty Listen, billion. I'm not putting a limit to it. But like billion. I said, it's not necessarily the chase of the money. It's, oh, it's about the value that yeah. you create. But I think during the process, you get to enjoy some of the perks that you know yeah. wealth and money comes with. But also understanding the consequences of your wealth and you know who that's impacting. One of the most miserable people I've ever known is a guy who won the lottery. And he's very miserable because he won the lottery and he used the money to buy all these very uh, high uh, value properties in central London. He, he then went to take equity out of those properties to buy further properties. So in the end, dwindling his share in these, in these assets. And then he got himself to a point where he wasn't making enough money to service all his debt because the yields, especially in central London, if you have a property, the yields aren't great. And that's the return you get on the investment so to speak um, and he said you know the reason why I'm miserable is because when I walk into a room and everyone introduces himself oh hi I'm, I'm the owner of this oh hi I invented this oh hi I'm the chair of this or I'm the CEO of this and what do I say oh I want it mm. and he said you know that makes me feel almost like I don't exist yeah. and so I think there's an element about working for your money and being proud of that as well you know that there is something definitely, definitely about the process that matters 100% and I feel like for me you know, I, I I give a to begin with a, a, a relatively no num low number, but I do that on the basis of like I'm working on something that I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, working on and putting myself into a in a, in a place where I can be able to have multiple properties mm. and be able to, um, or not properties, but just have businesses that are generating mm. income for me off the start of me doing what it was that I was doing, mm. um, that for me gives me, would give me great fulfillment because I knew, yeah. I know that I've worked and made smart choices and investments and stuff like that. And now I'm able to be able to do and experience things because I just want to do that. Yeah. And also I'm able to put a little money away for my children whenever I do mm. have that. And, and just, yeah, and live as comfortably as possible. For mm. me, anyway my, my circumstances and how I feel about things may change but I uh, a place that I go to regularly for um, a reset and for a peace of mind is Jamaica I go there once a year I'm in the hills mm. more time so I'm like that's where I'm I still go out <clears throat> yeah. but I'm still that's my place so I just think when I'm older mm. I will appreciate that even more yeah. and so you know, if I can find myself in in a in a place where I can spend X amount of time there in the hills relaxing and bearing in mind your money's long out there. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Your money's long. I go to Jamaica with I go to Jamaica with a with a couple bags or a bag. Yeah. Mm. Uh, if I go to Jamaica with a grand, I'm nice. Okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, super yeah. nice. Yeah. Have a property out there, be able <clears> to just chill, have my family and stuff like that. That's mm. that that to me is success. But do never get this twisted. 
I'm going for the big number and I'm going to keep striving for There's it. No limitations. Chuck. Yeah, I'm going to just keep striving for There's it. No and I'm just going to keep trying to play the game yeah. as much as I can, but trying to not make it mentally fatigue me. Yeah. And also, I think what you have to be aware of is that, you know, having all these nice flashy assets is nice, but it comes with upkeep and it comes with cost. Yeah. So a lot of people forget about that part of it, that actually, you know, once you go and buy all these expensive things, yeah. they don't just look after themselves. You have to spend more money to keep it in the conditions that you probably bought them in. So there's always an ongoing requirement, which is why I think generally people hit a certain level and they keep working just to maintain the new lifestyle that they found for themselves. It's not a case of, oh, I've made all the money and I'm done. The moment you start buying these things, you're gonna to need to upkeep them. Yeah, yeah. And that costs money. And so of you course. need to make sure you're still generating money just to maintain that lifestyle. 100%. Um, two more. What do you <clears> recommend <throat> under 20s to look at when it comes to financial edu educations like books, videos, podcasts, accounts? Um, well, follow my page. Yeah, have you started? You opened like started um, a website, right? I did, yeah. All right, I, I, la I launched my blog um, a few weeks back, yeah. so urbanfinancier.co.uk. Um, you know, it's really an amalgamation of everything that has taken place on my Instagram over the last few years. You know, since I came back on Instagram, two thousand eighteen, uh, every day or most days. I have conversations on my story. So I'm not really one of these people that post on the feed every day of the week because you know that needs a lot of commitment to that, which I can't dedicate. But the story element I can do because that's when I wake up and I post questions financially related. Yeah. You know, and this year alone I've talked about all sorts of subjects, you know, talk about properties, yeah. talk about SPVs, talk about investing, talk about pensions, talk about trust. And I have over a thousand people every day answer these questions. The beauty of that is that they know it's a safe space because nobody knows what answers they pick and nobody knows if they get it right or wrong. Mm. But every day I'll post the answers and then explain why the answer is what it is, yeah. right? So that's a way of me just being able to educate people on the go. And there are all types of people who take part in those every day. So I made the blog as an extension of that so that I can actually delve in deeper on certain topics. For example, when is the right time to buy a property? Investing. Where should you start? What should you consider? So that's really a platform for me to elaborate on these topics that you know I know people are concerned about because these are the things that you know I'm getting feedback from as I'm doing these stories on 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 my Instagram page. Word. Um, best financial tips uh, you were taught when you was a teenager. When I was, was a you, teenager, was you was you taught any? No, I wasn't. I, I've had to make mistakes that you know most people make. Um, you know, money doesn't grow in trees was probably the, the biggest financial advice I got, um, which you can't really convert into anything um, other than sort of trying to learn from your own mistakes. You know, when I was a teenager, um, I was very focused and dedicated on, <clears throat> you know, the things that I wanted to do, things I wanted to achieve. I was involved in so many clubs and societies in terms of bettering myself, public speaking, and all these different things I was doing. Um, money didn't really come into play until I got my first job. When I got my first job, I was working in retail. Um, and my first real experience was saving up for my first ever car, okay? And I remember because I had to reduce myself to rations every day for lunch to make sure that everything I earned was being saved towards this car. And I think I saved 3,000 pounds, Yeah. right? And this was you know, back in the day where that could buy you a nice Fiat Punto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the very first car I got. Yeah. And that sense of achievement kind of showed me the power of money because money is an enabler that's what it is 
you don't worship it all it does is it enables you to do something mm. right but that was my first experience of thinking okay so if I work hard and I save my money and I spend right I can actually buy the things I want and so that's what propelled me that was my first real experience with it prior to that it was just you know lunch money you know how much can you afford penny sweets when you go into the shop after school it's just simple economics of right you know how do I make this money stretch but for me it was kind of that first job and being able to save money to buy that car for me was kind of the eye opener that I get it okay so this is what it is you need that income you need to be able to look after it and then you can use it to do the things you want to do in life great answer listen have you got any have you got any questions is there anything you want to ask no alright um, there's a thing I never told you about this by the way but there's a thing that I'm starting now at the end of every episode mm -hmm. where I get everyone mm -hmm. um, to just oh, say what they think someone needs to see so it can be anything it yeah. could be an Instagram post it yeah. could be a song it could be a sock it could be a light <laughs> it could be a blog it could be <clears throat> anything yeah. and now actually thinking about it I know you've got a blog so maybe you might want to say that <laughs> as your thing but if you have something else it could be an Instagram it could be anything just what do people need to see in addition to my blog of course yeah. I would say the book by David Goggins can't hurt me yeah um for me i read that maybe a year just over a year ago um and it completely completely injected a whole new lease of life into me in terms of just the mind state and the mentality um it's incredible you know it's the first time i've read a book where the reader becomes the hero so you read that book you put it down and you think you can take over the world it really fills you up with so much motivation just listening to his story and what he had to endure so those two things my blog and David Goggins can't hurt me alright cool Callum uh, anything yeah I've got something it's kind of on the theme of what we're speaking about today Go on. there's a there's a guy called Manny Koshbin he's a commercial real estate um, investor uh, in LA and he's he's done some great videos recently about what you could come to expect from the next like few years mm. and if you're really in a position to do so how how to how to invest but also like to how long to possibly wait okay which was quite interesting to me the way he broke down um the cycle of a recession was really mm. interesting quite eye-opening so yeah okay. check that out i don't have one <laughs> your idea and you don't have one <laughs> you must uh, have something so what have you, seen you have so that? much going on that head you definitely have something what have you seen recently um, actually I'll tell you what yeah because I noticed a few people have been asking me about this but um, I want to make sure I get the right the um, okay so a few people have actually been asking me about vitamins and stuff that I take yeah mm. so um, I want to let you know that there's a sick place you can get your vitamins from, who I know the young lady as well, yeah. And it's called NutroCare, um, and that's the Instagram page. So N-U-T-R-O-C-A-R-E. Um, they do some good vitamins. I take, you know, I do vitamin C, mm. uh, B12. Like I take a few few vitamins every day, daily. So, yeah, yeah if you want to, you know what I mean, make sure that your vitamin count is up, then, you yeah, know, you're good. Check but um, bro thank you thank you I appreciate thank it um, and by the end of the year we will sit down again um, reassess where we're at and, and discuss more um, maybe if there's another thing that happens before that then we can sit and have a conversation but 100% before the end of the year yeah. we'll do this again um, thanks for everyone thanks to everyone listening and yeah we gone 
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.